when will this cruel war be over? More like, when will this bad book be over? <laughs> oh! Ding! That's a cold open. That- uh, uh- <laughs> <laughs> On so many levels. Yeah. So, uh, this was Welcome rough. to the Ribbon Book Club. Oh, right. A Dear America podcast, where we mostly remember to do a... Uh, a planned intro. My name is Jen. I'm Kate. <laughs> we are here recapping the second half of Barry Denenberg's When Will This Cruel War Be Over? The Civil War Diary <sighs> of Emma Simpson. We're going to try to make this not miserable to listen to, as miserable as it was to read. <laughs> oh, God. It just wouldn't end. <laughs> we get it. You guys are all terrible, and you're going to keep being terrible until your dying day. Yeah, yeah. Also, the only interesting things that happened in the second half of the book happened in, like, the last 12 pages. I think arguably the most interesting parts of the book were in the second half, so at least that'll give us something to talk about. Um, but overall, I had some notes at the end. Um I had some thoughts for our friend Barry, and I feel like, I hope that he learned some things. I feel like, objectively, he did, because I know at least, like, I could tell you the plot of a later book that he writes for this series, and there are way more events that happen. Oh, good. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite books. So I'm, I have high hopes for him as as an author, but I overall, I feel like I could tell that this was his first work of fiction. And he was he came from, you know, writing nonfiction history. I also think it's the first time he writes in a child's voice Mm -hmm. and a woman's voice. Yes. Yeah. So I I, I'm not I'm not here to personally, you know, attack (laughs) Mr. I'm sure Mr. Denenberg is a lovely person. I like that he named his daughter. Emma. Well, and he, he named, named this character, character Emma after, after the daughter. His daughter. That's where we're going. Honestly, I have more questions about that. Um, but <laughs> um, yes, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure I would make that choice. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily want my daughter associated with this character. But uh, maybe he was trying to humanize, and I think that was really his intent was to kind of like humanize um, uh, the confederacy. The confederacy. I just don't know that. That was maybe the best choice. Um, and we can talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So when we left off, we had been dealing with mm-hmm. child death. Um, somebody got run over by a wagon. Yeah. Tom broils dies. Well, her. I think the main event of the first half of the book is that her mother dies. I would um, agree with that. She, she, the, we start out with, you know, her brother, news of her brother's death, his body being returned. Um, and then she tells us about this boy, Tally, that she meets and is low-key courting via letter as yeah. he is. They get real serious real fast. They, real serious real fast. I feel like they've only actually talked in person like for one day. Yeah. And they go right to that. exchanging rings. And, and well, he sends her a ring, and he goes off to war to fight in the Confederacy. Her father is off fighting in the war. He appears to be an officer and has a lot of high-minded ideas that are terrible, very terrible ideas. Um, and I just like from personal experience, mm-hmm. marrying the first person who is kind to you doesn't always work. Yeah, this is a little bit of Disney princess syndrome. Well, and. We have to remember, when it comes to children's literature, what is the function of children's literature in yes. society? Yes. This is this is going to be a big point. Is like, why is this a, a story for children? Why yeah. are we instilling children with these ideas? Exactly. 
So the function of children's literature is to teach them the morals and mores of a society, whatever society they're operating in. And of course, that changes from place to place, which is why fairy tales in America are radically different from fairy tales in Germany or Russia. Mm. Right. So the function of children's literature is to impart the morals traditions expectations what would you say is a very american fairy tale cinderella (gasps) cinderella is probably the most quintessential american fairy tale even though it's not created in america yeah um but america was not created in america well okay yes but it's still even though it was created in europe it still reflects a very American perspective of yes. hard work. And hard work, being kind, yeah. being beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Those are all things that we want our girls to be. Okay. So if this book and all of these books fit mm-hmm. in with the children's literature of the late 90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. what is... What are what the kind Dear of, America yeah. values? What are the values that these books are trying to instill? Yeah. And I think uh, if you want to say good things about this one, it's... Uh, she's scholarly. She's scholarly. She's well-read. She's inquisitive about... Well, not even really. But uh, she's kind to people. She's, she's not really shown to be mean to anyone, yes. even those who are forced to serve her. But... Yep. Um, she yeah. doesn't also question why they are forced to serve her. And that is, I think, her our main critique is... She has absolutely no spine, no backboard, not a spark Well, I don't know if rebellion. it's even... Like, you, you said, yeah. I, she yeah. doesn't even have the decency to be truly mad at anybody. I think, yeah, I would say she, she doesn't question the world around her. No. And I think that's more the blame that I lay at her feet beyond not having a spine. Like... Yeah, she just doesn't she she doesn't seem to like she says, okay, so let's let's talk about this in terms of the first entry of the page that we are starting back on. Yeah. So we here we are on on August second, eighteen sixty four. Uh, and she starts off, it is impossible for me to tell if the, uh, you know, enslaved black people um, understand what is taking place. They come and go as usual, serving dinner while everyone talks as if they were just tables and chairs. All I wrote on this page was, wow. Yeah. And wow. I said, that's, um, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's how everyone treats, you know, these people. And that's a function of their role as chattel slave slavery you know and they are treated as objects as animals as like uh, a workhorse you know um that can talk you know and and that is very um, emblematic of how uh southern white people well i mean people in general treated black people um and and the fact that she's like oh it's impossible for me to know what they think you can talk to them like it's not like like i think about what my cat thinks about all day like that's that's a thing that I wonder about. Like, you know, what does she do for hours when I'm at work? <laughs> you know, that is impossible to know. It's not impossible to know what a person who can speak thinks, except for I will I will grant the caveat that uh, I doubt any of the enslaved people that work for her um, 
feel comfortable being honest with her. <laughs> well, and that's something she references that they are one way amongst themselves and another yeah. when in the presence of white people. And I think that also is how black culture developed. Yeah. Right? Like, there's this whole. Um, and it's not something that they chose, it's mm-hmm. something that we pushed on them. Yeah. There's a culture of code switching yeah. where you. Um, you speak one way with one group of people and then you know just it's kind of like you know for for white people for us you know millennial white women we know to present a certain what we call our customer service voice like in the (laughs) workforce you know quick quick funny story i'm so sorry i have a really aggressive customer service yeah you do hi thank you welcome Uh uh-huh and the guy i was i had taken all the software boys who wanted to go with me Hmm. and they have never seen customer service kate because i didn't have to do that at my last job yeah and so we were in line getting euros uh, and Miss the Mister Euro guy started talking to me through the window, Ugh, and my head R.I.P. Mister Euro. Oh my the god, I can't talk about it. I miss it every day. Yeah, I miss life. it. I just retired. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. That is a little aside about life in Grand Rapids. We lost yeah. the best Euro shop, <laughs> and my heart is broken, and nothing will ever be the same. Yeah. But anyway, You're, so we were there, and Mister mm-hmm. Euro knows me mm-hmm. because I'm a frequent flyer. Yeah, and so he yeah. was like, "So Kate, you know how are he calls me Catherine actually because he um, read it off my credit card." Yeah, <laughs> and so he was like, "So Catherine, how are you?" And talking to me, and I whip around and turn into customer service Kate. Oh no! And all the guys in the car froze, and they were like, "What the frigidaire washers and dryers was that?" Good catch. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and they had never seen that. And it, it mm-hmm. happened so quickly. But like, as soon as a, a person mm-hmm. is talking to me, like I have to give customer service. It's yeah. such a compelling thing. Um, and it's really weird. It's yeah. so strange. I, I even, I don't have as good a customer service voice as you, but I, I are we calling it good or is it just really aggressive? Well, Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I still, when I pick up the phone, I go, this is Jen, you know, how can I help you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely, I think that's part of gendered ex- expectations. Yeah. It is a version of code switching. It is not nearly as, uh, it doesn't have nearly as much, much baggage as, um. If you get into tone policing in general. Right. With women, it gets pretty heavy in the baggage department. Um, but but it's also there's a lot as of, much oh as yes 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 tone anything policing, people of color go through tone policing people of color is huge way worse than just women and especially if you're a black woman that's yeah. like the huge. worst thing you can be is I think aggressive people <laughs> who are assigned female at birth are taught tone policing mm-hmm. really quick yeah uh, I think it is doubled and tripled if you are a person of color absolutely. Yeah, there's all these intersections of oppression uh, that are coinciding. And you don't want to be in the middle of that Venn diagram, but several people are, and it sucks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> seems like not a good time. Uh, so we we continue. Um, the, I, there was, the last part of that entry was also interesting. Um, so she's talking with... Uh, you know, oh, there! We everyone talks as if they were just tables and chairs. I'm not sure Mother would permit this if she were here, Miss... Mr. Garlington, who we'll come back to, believes they are wiser than we think. We, means Aunt Carolyn, who seems in constant disagreement with him, and Dr. Harris. He thinks they are simply biding their time. 
waiting for the the Yankees to set them free. And for that, I was like, I wonder if this is like, I kept waiting for um, kind of like a, a knowing wink to the audience from the author to be like, hey, I know this is wrong, but I'm writing a p- point of view. Right. Um, and I, But my, there is no outside wink. No. I think this is kind of the closest we get is like these little, you know, touches of like, hey, they might all, you know, riot or, or uprise against us. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember that one in seven people in the United States was owned by somebody else at the time of the Civil War. Yeah, one in seven. I, I That's think, a very high number. I think one of my biggest beefs with this book is that it doesn't ever acknowledge kind of wh- why they're so upset and and like what the South is doing. It kind of just glazes over this of like. Oh, I don't understand. Like, this just right. happens. This is all the Yankees, those evil abolitionists. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. And there's a couple times where I'm like, hey, yeah, we're feeling pretty bad for Emma, but also this is happening. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So, oh, okay. She, yeah, she goes back to the, the school where they're teaching their enslaved children. Um, and she writes about one of them, Dinah. Um, of all my students, Dinah is the most attentive. She always arrives promptly, eager to begin her lessons. At times, I am able to sit with Dinah later in the week and go over her writing and spelling, which she seems most concerned about, and I must confess, I feel mo- most comfortable teaching. And uh, th- What page was that? I'm so sorry. On 76. Thank you. And I, I you know, it's, it gets back to that interesting idea of, like, they're putting effort into teaching their enslaved people, even though that is considered risky because they could, you know, uprise against them or or organize. How they're even still being pretty strategic about that. They're Mm -hmm. not teaching. They might be teaching how to read. But well, yeah, not- I mean, she's teaching Dinah how to read and write, and right. she's saying, like, oh, I really enjoy that. It's like, it's showing that she's kind. But remember, in the first part of the book, mm-hmm. they exclusively are teaching the philosophy of the Bible. Right. They're not teaching, she's not reading Jane Eyre with this girl. No, and I... Nor any yeah. sort of philosophy regarding freedom. There were loads of pamphlets about this. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying freedom of slaves. I'm talking about, like, the foundational freedom of America and the concept yeah. of equality among there's also passages in the bible that they probably want to steer clear of like years of jubilee like all of exodus and yeah all of exodus yeah (laughs) so i but what i was thinking about with this passage was like what if wouldn't it be interesting to have like to like okay here's emma's perspective here's emma's story what she's perceiving the next book Dinah's perspective. I would love that. Wouldn't that be interesting? And we're gonna kind of get that with the next book. Spoiler alert, it is Oh, her name's Clotie. Clotie, yeah, a picture of freedom. Yes, yes, a picture of freedom, and so it's it's from the perspective of an enslaved girl. But I think it would have been even more interesting to have it be like the, the same, same book. <laughs> the yeah. same like story. I think that would be interesting. Anyway, that was just my idea of how to uh, kind of improve the situation. <laughs> Did you notice that most of the entries are about being good and making other people comfortable? Yeah. Like, she's trying to help Aunt Caroline and never cry and mm-hmm. make sure it's for Tally and teach people how to read. And mm-hmm. she just 
never once says no to something, right? Like, Mm -hmm. eventually people come into her house and she's just like, okay, and then we learned how to get along with them. Yeah, it's a very, like... Things happen to her, and not a lot happens to her. Right. She, arguably, if you were to make a documentary of most of this girl's days, it would mostly be like making bread and tending flowers. Well, and but it doesn't even like tell us much about that. Like it, it says, like oh, she's reading, she's talking to these people. Yeah. It doesn't like one of the reasons why I enjoy these books was that it gives us a glimpse into what everyday life is like for women, which we don't arguably get a whole lot of in our like history textbooks but this one is even kind of lacking on that kind of detail like we're not getting any of the fun like recipes that we got with abigail we're not getting like oh we we had laundry today so this is how we did it you know you're not getting any interesting insights yeah yeah you don't have any of that she mostly sits in a bed and reads and then sometimes she talks to people yeah it's all just like oh so and so was saying this and like okay um honestly i think you could read like the first like section of the book like the if you just read the two christmas entries and the epilogue you got yeah. the entire book which you did it that was mm, we'll get yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so anyways um i did get one little piece of spooky fortune telling on page 81 oh please uh scissors fall get lodged in the floor and they're like "Ooh, company's coming and in the very next interest miss sally robbins visited today yeah i like little fortune telling things but in the previous pages like this is we had kind of differing thoughts about cousin rachel who is yeah let's talk about that in and out of this story a lot um so on the previous page on 78 um it's I had, like, I thought something was going to happen. <laughs> I spent a quiet day reading my room. Aunt Caroline is in the parlor, and I've not seen Cousin Rachel. Robert Broyles has disappeared. His mother thinks he might have had himself, but no one knows. And I was like, oh, my God, did they run away together? Okay, so you I mentioned so that. so excited. And I was like, oh, this is going to be the part. And then that they don't. And then nothing happens. Like, she doesn't mention it. Like, I don't hear anything else about Robert Broyles. And then the next page, on page 80... Aunt Caroline has suggested that she and Cousin Rachel play together. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that's nothing. Yep. She's still here. And then and then um, we hear the next entry. Cousin Rachel seems to be practicing her flute for the first time. Okay, cool. Um, uh, this is a really excellent she, example of how boring this book was. She has kept her much to herself the past few weeks. But yesterday she returned to her former self and is once again speaking from great heights on any number of issues. The war... Uh, black people especially marriage i'm like we hear constantly about like oh rachel's talking a lot but we don't really get into any of the substance of what she's saying right or like well because our empty-headed main character doesn't worry about that (laughs) no but here's here's the one thing as in like a subtext that i picked up from this book Every member of this family, except for arguably Aunt Caroline, seems to be suffering from some sort of mental illness. Yeah. I think our main character suffers from a great deal of depression. Mm-hmm. I think Cousin Rachel seems to go in and out of heights of mania and depression. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I didn't think about that. And um, Aunt Caroline seems fine. And of course, the baby isn't old enough the to show baby. us these yeah. things. But I wonder if this family carries 
markers for well and i think it's also they're not real people this is a work of fiction but yeah 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 we don't need to like uh psychoanalyze the the genetic uh anyway but i i think it's more of a symbol of like this is how the war affected people differently i think that's certainly possible but i just the mental states of the people that we observe or hear from do not seem mm-hmm. balanced. That might be an effect of the war. It might be an effect of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different. Yeah, I think ways there is a lot of happen. mental health stuff going on. In this but it's part. never. Well, it's not addressed, addressed because, because they don't know been. how to address exactly. it. Exactly. Um, and we'll see what ha- happens. Like yeah. Part, what Indeed. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, I wrote on page eighty-three: these kids are depressed. They're depressed. Yeah. So we get Sally Robbins coming to visit, and um, she, and you know, they're interacting with you know Emma and cousin Rachel. <laughs> we have cousin Rachel is quite critical of Sally and states that rushing headlong into marriage. Uh, she's getting married it doesn't matter uh is dreadful is a dreadful path to trod she spoke at length about the evils of submitting to men and said that it was important for young girls like ourselves to enjoy our lives rather than find ourselves bound to a life of toil and trouble she says uh that when we sally and me i suppose are older we will see that when your heart is broken you will not wish to have it so again what yeah. When was Cousin Rachel's heart broken? Yeah, we don't get those details. We don't know what she's talking about. And she never asked. <laughs> she never asked. She never... That being said, I don't think Cousin Rachel is wrong here. Cousin Rachel's not wrong in this instance. Um, yeah, it's it's like... Well, this is what's annoying me, is that it's hinting at all of this like interesting stuff. And the book never talks about it. That the book never gets into detail about. So you're like, okay cool yeah i don't know right i so I <laughs> you're not gonna you tell can... me to you're not gonna just like convince me to, to care about cousin rachel if you don't give me any details about it's like hearing gossip secondhand yeah. and you're just like wait what hmm? mm-hmm. yeah and Please it might be us. a very accurate way for a diary because like people in diaries in real diaries don't always yeah don't explain always the up. full story of what's going on but like but that being this said, is a work of fiction Right, you make it time. make sense. You, if you're having full quoted, but that's actually the thing. There's no quoted dialogue in here because it's all just like, yeah, she said this. That's right. I'm like looking back at this, and there's like absolutely no direct quotes, which is accurate for a diary, but it's less interesting. But again, for a thinking book. about the function of children's literature, mm-hmm. I would like to impart on a younger generation to not rush headlong into. Oh yeah, this is good advice. Right, like yeah. there are a lot of quote unquote evils to submitting to men. Um, for example, back in those days, especially, which I think is worth considering, since we're also considering this as a work of fiction mm-hmm. or a work of hist- history, um, is that you would have lost your identity, you would have lost your property, you would have lost, you know, your ability to legally go and be an independent person. If your husband demands that you stay at home and mm-hmm. you leave, in some yeah. places you are breaking the law. Additionally, pregnancy is not a health neutral subject. Yeah. People who like get turned into breeding mares, that certainly did happen. It still happens today at various ages. Yeah. Um, 16 states in the United States do not have laws against child marriages. And uh, yeah, I I will say in regards to marriage at that time, it could be a prison, but it could also be it's not like for many 
girls growing up, um, you know, it's not like they were totally free and independent right. at home. Certainly. So a lot of a lot of women would marry in order to get out of the house yep. because they can't move away from home just on their own volition. Right. It's you like you have, have to pass to credit. You didn't from, have access to leases. Yeah. You have to pass from your father's protection and control to your husband's yep. control. So it's like, it's not as if it's, we're saying like, Oh, girls at this time never get married. Is like, well, I, I mean, the ideal situation really is, get married, and then your husband dies, and then you become a rich widow. <laughs> Feel free to kill him. Um, no, yeah, I think um, Best if I were scenario. to impart a value besides, you know, casual murder, yeah, it would be to wait until you're 25, wait until you're 26, let your brain be fully developed, have experiences. Yeah, but, well, best case scenario is a completely, like... Um, you know, kill the patriarchy, like full equality, intersectional equality for everyone. And then you can, yeah, like grow to have your own head space and make your own decisions. In the meantime, yes, wait until you're a fully formed adult before you (laughs) rush off and make any decisions. There were a bunch of people at my high school who got married immediately after high school. None of those marriages survived. Hmm. Didn't matter class, didn't matter if they had a college education or not. Eventually, Mm -hmm. those marriages all fell apart because your brain, the person who I am at 35 doesn't even know the person I was Mm -hmm. at 25. Yeah, I will say that I do know a lot of people from my high school who got married right after high school who are still together and seem to be happy. So you know, it's not a universal rule. Sure. Um, anyway. I, only, I think I only know one couple that's still together. Oh, but. wow. Um, yeah. Also, I would recommend against it, I guess. Also, is my like, if you marry someone and you decide we're not meant to be, divorce is an option and it's right, totally which fine. Which it wasn't in the 1860s. <laughs> yes. Um, so, <sighs> okay. The big threats coming to town are that soldiers are starting to show up now. Yes. Uh, you, uh, Yankee soldier, Ooh, yeah, soldiers, yeah, yeah. as they keep saying. Um, and they're having different effects on different people. They're causing some people to move out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Broyles house, I believe, was taken to be a civil war uh, hospital. Yes. Yeah. So now we're on page 85. Um, you know, with the heading, the kind of gratuitous headings. The war is at our door. <laughs> Starts, all talk of all talk is of Atlanta. The Yankees are rumored to be preparing to invade the city, uh, which indeed was a very big deal. But like also, Atlanta, this is Virginia. They are in Northern Virginia and they oh, are yeah. worried about what's happening in Atlanta. I don't worry about what's happening in Chicago. Well, they're worried about it because it's, you know, a big city and if it falls, then like that's bad for the war yeah um so yeah and there's men in trees watching the house which that would spook me yeah. if there are people just watching my house I'd be like, i mean that's freaky no. yeah yeah it's we'll pretty creepy that. yeah and then the yankees have invaded the broils house um invaded they I, needed a hospital for their soldiers i don't this is where it's gonna get weird yeah because there's a whole lot of you know, the Yankees are the enemy, and so we have to paint them with as like as evil, cruel and malicious as yeah. possible. So it's gonna get way worse than this, right? And and us, I'm trying to remember like what I thought of this as a young kid reading this, living in upstate New York, like the Yankee state, you know. And I was just like, okay, you know, you're from the South, like I could get why you see 
the you know the other army that way comma however <laughs> right comma however uh, yeah it's just a bit much mm-hmm. um yeah yeah oh okay i have a lot of notes on the next page okay good <laughs> this is where my thoughts start we're on page 88 9 um i'm on page 86 okay um so the they're the 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 yankees are taking over the broyles house for uh, a hospital and or or they're just like they broke the window, stole food, and within minutes the house was filled with rough men and no officer in attendance. They left just as suddenly as they had come. Um, so actually, I don't know if that turns into a hospital. They're just kind of like raiding houses. By and page eighty nine, I believe it is a hospital. Okay. Well, at, the, at this moment, ahead of you. At this moment, they're kind of just um, coming uh, in, stealing food. Getting yeah, out. yeah, coming in, taking things. Um, so Mrs. Broyles comes over and she's, she says she was so startled by the intrusion that she imagines any noise now to be a recurrence and she cannot stop her heart from palpitating so fearfully that it frightens her. She said one of the Yankees told her that they were not going to let the rebels sleep comfortably in their own homes while their, while their own wounded and sick men suffered. Um, Which, like, yeah, man. Okay, so this reminded me of um, a part... Uh, I think the, of the Civil War documentary that you know we were talking about so much last yes. time, which you know, yeah, go watch it. It is um, the seminal piece. But I, I think uh, there's a, a part where I think it's General Sherman um, says is making the argument that you know this war has been dragging on so long, and the only way to really put a stop to it is to like break the spirit of you know the confederacy and so that is why he personally like didn't care about you know what we would consider polite rules of war and indeed the geneva (laughs) you know of like rules of war where you like you're not supposed to like really i don't think the geneva code had been no 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 this is pre-geneva code of course um but but the the general vibe of like don't mess with civilians you know absolutely and And that's like there certainly were polite rules of war Mm -hmm. even for the american revolution and Mm -hmm. even in like the hundred years war in europe and for the civil war like this is definitely them kind of doing something that's taboo and i think a a reason why the south particularly hates general sherman is because he was like look i know this is bad and i know you're not gonna like it but like we're trying to end this war and i think you can look at it different ways from different perspectives um arguably we did a lot of this when we dropped, you know, two yep. whole atom bombs on yep. Japan. And um, not Japan, military targets. We dropped no, those on civilian cities. targets. Yeah. So I think yeah. if you're thinking there like, oh, a- thank God Truman dropped those bombs on Japan and are thinking, how dare Sherman march to the sea? Right. You know, you got to interrogate that a little bit. I think that's a very, very, very astute, put together, thought out, good thing. A lot of there's this university mm-hmm. uh they operate through videos on facebook and <laughs> tiktok and things like that I'm they're so called scared. prager yep <laughs> yeah yep i love that you guys both know i was like oh 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 no Where's they this? put together an argument like that for the dropping of the atom bomb that it ended the war 
faster well, and, and the, we don't like, more know people it saved more lives than and we don't ended. know if if sherman's march to the sea ended the war faster like right. there, that's the whole thing is like it's time happens and it happens once we don't have that choose your own adventure thing <laughs> uh we were playing a choose your own adventure game last night and i died several times so um, many times you just kept pecking picking so the wrong thing many times anyway anyway yes no i i think you're absolutely correct and that is one of my problems with the characters in these books is that none of them have a shred of insight on mm-hmm. page 89 Wait, i want to i want to go back because there's oh, a sorry it's okay uh, <laughs> I, I have a i have a passage here on, on 86 that i think is a great uh litmus test yeah that i think everyone should kind of like internalize like how they would react in this situation um so, you know, she's saying like, oh, the rebels, you know, are, the Yankees are saying that the rebels aren't going to sleep comfortably in their home, blah, blah, blah. Next paragraph. All of the enslaved people welcomed the Yankees with open arms. They told the Yankees about the bloodhound Mr. Oh. Broyles used to track down runaways and then went with them to shoot him. The enslaved people whooped and hollered in their quarters when they heard the shots and the dog's pitiful howls. Sit with that a second and think about who do you feel bad for yep. in that situation. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in discussions with people about some like random topic, movie, historical event kind of thing. And, you know, something about, you know, the death of a, an animal. Yep. And, and everyone's like, oh. Oh, that poor dog. You know, I've had people come out of the Titanic exhibit and and be so devastated about the seven dogs that died when 1,500 people died. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, that's sad. Like, I love animals, too. That's sad. But, like, perspective. (laughs) Well, and this dog especially was was being used to maul, maim, and murder. Yes. And And I'm not saying... And incite terror. I'm not, like assuming anyone's reaction here but like that was something that that struck me as as someone who's had conversations like this where someone would be like i can't believe they shot the dog and you're like i can't believe they mauled so many people right or that they that trained dog. <laughs> the dog to yeah like the real people. tragedy is that this that slavery is happening right <laughs> you know yeah. i think it is possible to have space in your heart for both tragedies yeah like, titanic upsets me all the time but also those seven dogs trapped in that kennel yeah. drowning to death upsets it's me sad. all the time too it's sad i just especially because the dogs did not have a choice the dogs didn't have a choice a lot of people didn't have a choice there either um you know <laughs> um but it's still yeah no definitely uh, the bigger tragedy you have yeah. to put things in perspective you can feel for the dog and his pitiful cries but also again some dogs need to be put down Sad. and i include mr Broyles in that i uh, yeah i think arguably mr Broyles needs to be put down more than the dog i think you could yeah, maybe the you dog could potentially could rehabilitate that dog um but i'm also not gonna begrudge these people who were victims right. of being brutalized by this this dog i had being glad that pretty it's much dead. the exact same takeaway as you <laughs> and i think it's interesting that the yankees are being kind of used as a mirror here mm-hmm. because the Yankees, they're sometimes kind and they're yeah. sometimes cruel. But yeah. when they're kind to the enslaved people, it is seen as cruelty. Yeah. And they just, mm-hmm. the South, no Southern character in this book ever mm-hmm. takes a moment to be like, well, we started this. 
Exactly. They never once. Yeah, they never. They Who never started the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln stood on the day that he was inaugurated and he said, I put my fate in your hands, my angry uh-huh. people of the South. Yeah. If there is to be war, you are the ones who will start it. Right. Please don't. Mm-hmm. But also you're the ones. Yeah. And five days later, they all seceded. They all or seceded. Within the next they all year. fire on Fort Sumter. Yeah. And within a year. Yeah. So I, I just, <laughs> to once again, quote the amazing Will Smith in the creative classic Men in Black, mm. don't start nothing mm-hmm. and there won't be nothing. Yep. yep the yep. South started this war. They started it. Yeah. There's no other way to put this. There's a, there's a, and I think I probably said the same thing last episode, but there's, there's a great Mary Chestnut quote that I can't remember, but she's like, it's in the documentary where she's like, you started it by God, you better finish it. (laughs) Otherwise we're all screwed, you know, (laughs) and this is very much what's happening. Um, Yeah. Let's move on to page 89. I had something is it the quote from the soldier he had been willing to fight yep. to save the union yeah god we're always on the same page we're so in sync we're so in sync our brains our uteruses it's, it's all a package deal <laughs> so anyways he had been willing to save he'd been willing to fight to save this the is union a- this is a yankee soldier oh yeah today yeah. at dawn a yankee soldier came to our house and asked if I would be willing to tell him where our troops are, blah, blah, blah. Uh, of course, I had no information. He said he was tired of the war and wished to go home. And if I would tell him where they could be found, it would help him make his escape. And then... Um, he had been willing to fight to save the Union, but now that the war was being fought by abolitionists who want to free the slaves, he wished to fight no more. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's not a thing. Well... Most of the people... It is, unfortunately, a thing. Well, okay. So, what I mean is that the majority of people, majority of Union soldiers who fought the Civil War Uh typically didn't have opinions about slavery. They were not exactly abolitionists. Even this author in his epilogue says that abolitionists were an extreme but vocal minority. Yeah. And so, that's not a thing. (laughs) Like, I, I recognize that midway through the... Through the Civil War, uh, um, when Lincoln "quote unquote" freed the slaves the with the Gettysburg Proclamation, yes, that's the one. Which sorry, I think is what happens at the very beginning of this book. But yeah, yes. Um, but anyway, that's when the war became about slavery. But it was absolutely, and what got most Union soldiers to sign up was about preserving the Union. I and this is something I kind of want to look up. Um, I found the. National Park Service has a timeline. Yeah, that was a great read. Of the Civil War. Um, and I am curious if this kind of coincides with the creation of the United States Colored Troops, which is what they were called their units of black soldiers. Um, and they were, for a very long time, the Union did not allow black people to serve in the army um because racism even when you're on the north and you're fighting to you're allegedly fighting to end slavery um you still are racist many times um and so it was it was a a huge um fight to get uh to be able to create these units of of you know black troops and uh so much so that when it finally did happen we had 
you know, like riots in New York City over, uh, you know, fighting white alongside. people not wanting to fight alongside black people. Um, there it's, is the draft riots um, in New York City, I think, was when they instituted a draft for the Civil War. And yeah, you had a lot of white people who, you know, were fine fighting for the Union, but were not didn't care about ending slavery so it's not isn't that we're not trying to say that oh the north is all good you know and has no, no, everything certainly not right. the north is deeply deeply uh, yeah, racist yeah. and the racism is more subtle and so therefore think, more dangerous i think the inclusion of this soldier is trying to say that like hey you know it's not a dichotomy of right pro-slavery South and anti-slavery North. Um, It is more complicated than that. Um, Although I don't think that idea is investigated enough in this book to be meaningful. Yeah. Right? Like, they're not giving you enough detail to flesh that thought out because our character, who gives us all her thoughts, has almost no thoughts. (laughs) Well, I think it's a problem of A, she doesn't really interrogate anything in Mm -hmm. her own life, and B, she's not really given any access to any events i think it takes spine to ask why Mm -hmm. and our character has less spine than a jellyfish yeah okay she just doesn't oh i hate her (laughs) i'm sorry i try i hate her i i don't hate her i nothing her i just don't care that much like i I don't like i think if she were cruel then i would hate her i think i just like she just seems like so much a product of her time that doesn't care Honest to God, about... that's worse for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's she is cruel. She's cruel in she's her, cruel. her lack of care. Right. To, you know, she's so close to the idea. I wonder if these people are more than tables and chairs. Yeah. I wonder if they have thoughts or feelings or the ability to make find good out. choices. Yeah. I, ju- I hate her. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a single redeeming character in this book. I really tried to like Cousin mm. Rachel. I you thought tried. that she was kind of a you blue should. stocking, but then no. she comes out no. as a monster we'll in the following we'll pages. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the Union soldiers are here. Let's keep going. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Oh, okay. So, Cousin Rachel's now getting depressed on page 92. Yes. yes. I so made a she, note that she desperately needs talk therapy. I think she needs talk therapy, but also, like, your... Or, like, lithium. Your idea that she might be having, like, manic depressive episodes is probably... Yeah. I don't think they had words for that, but I think the author like, may be trying you know, to hint. Armchair psychology blah 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 can we jump ahead to the next letter from father on page 96 um wait i have i I wrote a lot oh on page 90 go ahead um so um one of miss jane allen's enslaved people ran off with her diamond ring and other jewelry miss mrs allen was distraught because the ring belonged to her husband's mother mr allen and was who was killed in earlier this year she reported the theft to one of the yankee officers but he said nothing could be done about it so <laughs> when i you know this is my reaction to this was like when you consider all of the value and wealth that has yep. been stolen from enslaved people over the years, the decades, you know, the centuries of oppression. That is really like a, a diamond ring and other jewelry is really the least amount of reparations they could take. Have you ever read the 
Atlantic article, The Case for Reparations. Uh, no, but that sounds interesting. We could probably repost it. Okay. Um, and it basically does the math on what you're hinting at mm-hmm. and why, like how much value and generational wealth has yeah. been stolen from black Americans. Yeah. You know, not just via slavery, but also ghettoization yeah. and unfulfilled promises of of you know reconstruction right. as well so reparations is not a bad idea yeah yeah sorry i recognize that's going to brand us as radicals <laughs> oh i think we've passed that we've crossed that rubicon <laughs> well, I, i've always been so surprised how the idea of reparations even affects people who you would consider liberal. Oh yeah, it's like the line they won't cross. Well, I think it everything's makes, fine until it makes you threaten somebody's when, money. Yeah, everything's fine until you threaten someone's wealth, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but that's mine. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. Because um, I, I, it occurred to me as I was, you know, thinking about this, I was like, one of the main reasons, and this is getting into a different topic, but one of the reasons why I'm so you know, annoyed by this story um, and, and this, like, entry in particular is that, like, this is, this audience is young people and young people especially get preoccupied by, like, rules and fairness structure. So a scene like this can easily, you know, reinforce an idea that, you know, taking these things, taking these jewels, taking the food by the Yankees, you know, that's wrong and miss the point that like slavery is wrong (laughs) you know yeah there's nobody to voice that opinion and i'm not i'm not saying that from the position of like oh i'm old and i'm smart and i'm you know i've i've gotten so good at like interrogating this i'm saying this as like someone who remembers reading this as a kid Mm -hmm. and was some a kid who was preoccupied by following rules and like when you presented something uh, such a nuanced story like this where it's like oh, can you believe they ran off with her jewels? I would be like, oh my God, yeah, that's terrible. When you don't, like, when you're missing the larger point. Well, and I think Denenberg, by not introducing and reintroducing those larger points, he takes his book, cuts it at the knees, where, you know, this book could actually be doing something. Yeah. Instead, it's worthless tripe. And that's why we're so that's why we're so upset by it is yeah, because no, that it's, they, it's we not had an opportunity here it's getting so close to that point. But you have to have this really high level of like analysis to really get right anything from it. And like, I'm not or saying to not get the wrong thing. From and like it. kids can be precocious, but like also you got to be really careful with that because a lot of kids are not on that level. Yeah. And that's just how young men become incels exactly like you have to uh, you have to get to your audience like at their level and but flesh out the idea yes let them get you know yes stealing is wrong Uh uh-huh taking food from people who are in desperate need Mm -hmm. is wrong yeah i can appreciate that but if we were reading these soldier stories you know these men have been forced sometimes especially with the drafts Mm -hmm. Uh, these men have been forced into a war that probably had nothing to do with them Mm -hmm. and they are ripped away from their families their physical lives are threatened they are starving they are cold they are uncomfortable they do not have adequate medical care or equipment Mm -hmm. so it sucks for them too and they need food as well yeah it's just it's 
it's trying very hard to humanize a perspective that like I feel like we're, we don't have a whole lot of trouble humanizing, which yeah. is privileged white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, do we need to do that anymore? Uh, and it's at the coming at the cost of the humanization of enslaved people yeah. and, and you know, Yankee soldiers, which is like, who cares? But like, right. you know. <laughs> no, it's, it's very, very, very frustrating. Yeah. Um, so jumping ahead to page 96. Okay. A letter from father. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't remember if father dies. It, he does. It's it's he in does. the epilogue. Spoiler uh, alert. He dies. Riddance. And I just wrote, good. I yeah. know, like, who cares? Okay, well, he's so maliciously racist. And it shows up here. And this is another he's problem that I have with this book. And Emma's like, oh, father. Like, right. she's not These are like, perfectly fine ideas. Yes. Okay, so here's my problem. Okay. <laughs> the Dear America books. <laughs> title of this episode. So here's my problem. Right. That's, <laughs> right. So here's my problem. <laughs> anyway, so these Dear America books were popular. Yeah. They were. Granted, I don't know a single person who liked this book. That's fine. I, it's not about whether or not the book is liked. It's the fact that the book was there and a lot of kids yeah. are completionists. They probably read it. Oh, I read it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to. I'm going to read you this letter from father. I'll skim over it because who cares? My God. But I want you to imagine we are two white women. Mm-hmm. We were raised white in the North. Yeah. Imagine reading this mm-hmm. as a black child. God, yeah. There are black children who have read this. Yeah. And they they observe through reading the main character taking on these hugely harmful ideas uh-huh. about and not questioning them yeah just not at like, all this is what he said the character doesn't Moving stand on. up for her readers <laughs> because she's a spineless toad <laughs> so a letter from father he says we should not be discouraged and assures us that the Yankees are an inferior breed and that the Lord will watch over us and not allow the wicked abolitionists to prevail. Cool. Fine. Father, sure. I'm going to skip ahead. Whatever. Father maintains that the abolitionists would like to destroy our country and see the people who are considered. This is a book that's written for children, and I understand that it's written from a certain historical perspective. <clears throat> However, there are words in this book that are not They're used malicious. in polite society anymore, and, and it's they hard to used talk in about it. Society in the nineties, and it's hard to talk about it to you know audience of polite people. What is the number one rule of well, writing? Quoting it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Consider your audience. Oh, okay, yeah. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? If mm-hmm. you are choosing this kind of vocabulary, well, and 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 I'm sure they would say like, you know, we're this is historically we wouldn't, and it's true that you wouldn't hear this person say our enslaved African American right, 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 people. Right, 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 You know, that's just not. We I would understand be that he's writing that as a character. As well. The character has a voice. I get it, but there are other terms. You don't have to use the N word once. You don't, don't have to use any of the. I N-words. feel like this. Okay, I will throw them a bone that they didn't use the hard right. R. Uh, Mazel which, for <laughs> softening the blow, but like, why is this word in here so much? It is in there a lot, and I think it's like they're trying to just be clinical about it by using the full word and not doing the more 
offensive version Which, of it. I guess that's something. And maybe this is just a product it's of the 90s like, where everybody was a little less woke. Well, we were all reading Huckleberry Finn, too, in school, which does have the hard R like every other word. <laughs> you are correct. And reading it out loud in class. Like, jeez. <laughs> Regardless... The author clearly was not considering anybody but a white audience. No. Here. Oh, I I, I feel terrified to learn about like like schools where you're reading it in class and like all the black students having to just like put up with this. Right. So Ooh. same with Huckleberry Finn. Although there are some, I would say other parts to that story. Huckleberry Finn is less problematic than this book. Yes. Even with all yep. of the hard R's. Yep. <laughs> It's not the word so much. It's what's happening to the characters and, you know, what the point is of Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn is darn close to something that you could consider American parable. Yeah. Right. There's not a whole lot of American fairy tales. The closest thing we have to an American fairy tale is The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of the only one. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Sorry, I think I, of a lot about chi- that children's literature class really changed my life. Good. I think I about songs. stuff like that from all the time. That's why I have so many fairy tale books. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I just can't. My point is, I can't imagine. Oh, but you didn't. Okay, so to finish the quote, though. Yeah, sure. Father maintains that the abolitionists would like to destroy our country and see the black people set free so that they could just live like white people and he is certain that that is not the lord's plan he is sure that setting them free would ruin their lives as well as ours just such a patronizing thing right oh you wouldn't know what to do with freedom right um they visit that on women a lot too women don't know how to make good choices women are so ditzy and it's there was they have a, to have a man to take care of them. There was. I'm going to be so annoying. There was a TikTok that I <laughs> sent you guys in our group chat of this guy who was talking about um, a book that he was reading um, that was studying poverty in the United States and education levels. And he was saying that um, the South has some of the worst rates of poverty in education in the country and it's not just amongst black people who were purposely kept you know in this inferior status for you know centuries um even after slavery it also has affected white people in the south and it can all be tied to this tradition of slavery and like white people shot themselves in the foot as as well as you know the people that they were oppressing and this whole tradition of slavery and you know trying so hard to keep certain classes of people down has a broad negative effect certainly um that continues to this day we're still dealing with the the fallout from slavery. We will be dealing with the fallout from slavery until there is no longer an America. And and it's just the idea that, you know, setting them free would ruin everyone's lives. It's like you have no idea. <laughs> and so it makes me so angry. Yeah. It's <laughs> wild. I just can't. Um the next entry i believe i'm on page 100 mm-hmm. uh, or at least the next time i took notes yeah. I'm, you really can skip broad swaths of this book if you only read every sixth page you did it you read um, the book yeah there's like we start getting into um a lot more 
action. Yankees coming around. There's a letter from Tally, and he's... And she says, I wonder if he and father are fighting the same war. And it's like, yeah, breaking news. Can, they are. You can. Well, they are. But like you can tell the difference between like enlisted privates and like the officer class. Certainly. Where like her well, father we has a lot more high minded like this is what we're doing. And this is the point where Tally's like, I have seen so many dead bodies. You know, this is he has a. a uh Tally says he had become hardened to the sight of death. A cornfield where one battle was fought had so many dead bodies that he could have walked over it without stepping on the ground. Yeah. And I think uh, that's a real quote. It is. It's it's, from. Is it from Sam Watkins? I don't remember. It it, is, though. But that's it's definitely at the time I I underlined that quote. and I was like, oh, we did watch the Civil War documentary. And And then at the end, Shelby Foote shows up. I was like, my man. I was like, I wrote, oh, ho, ho. Oh, ho, ho. Which honestly makes me more mad because it's like the Civil War does such a good job of like having this like point of view perspective, but also giving like context <laughs> to yeah. it. I guess kids, if you want to read this book, read this book, fine. But could you please also watch the Ken Burns Civil War documentary and actually get something in your brain about the Civil War? Yeah. Well and then it's the most powerful thing little girls can ask is why. Yes. You know, like always ask this why. is something why that I struggle with. It's a criticism that I'm giving to others but it's one that i am leveling at myself as well Mm -hmm. i'm not it's part of that tone policing you know customer service voice Mm -hmm. i don't ask why enough i i don't question the way things are and they should be questioned even today and one of the strongest things you can do kids is be like but why why and tell me why and that applies i think very well to this book um in all books, you got you have to question every piece of media that's that's published. Mm-hmm. Um, choices were made of like what to include, what not to include, yeah. how to portray people, how to you know the choices were made. Choices were made. Um, so like later, you know, there's a story of uh, you know a man who he, he and the other sol- soldiers are forced to execute because he was trying to return home. He was trying to desert. He was trying to return hurt return home in order to help his family who's starving who's starving and i was just like struck by the difference between you know oh this poor person who we just had to like he's he's trying to help his family versus like the drunken union soldiers who are you know raiding houses and it's like okay mr denenberg like i understand you're trying to you know have a certain point of view here but like that was a choice on your part yep to be like oh these union soldiers are all terrible like there's like one or two nice ones but on literally the whole, i can only think of one overtly nice one yeah on the whole the union soldiers are very much portrayed as being drunken animals who yep. like only want care about destroying things and they're seen as like almost like it's kind of how in abigail's story the british were always written about as being f- Plat, plump, you know. Plump. It's okay. You can combine. say the word "fat" to me. <laughs> well, I combine the two. They yeah. like fat, plump, you know, overfed, you know, they all lazy. had mistresses. They were yeah. lazy. Yeah. Versus like the heroic, you know, family-minded, right? Union or you know, American soldiers. It's just why? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. So, yeah. other books, uh, I, I do sympathize with Talia's 
experience uh, of how war is hell. Mm-hmm. War is unhealthy for people and other living things. Yeah. So if you're looking for other literature that touches on that, I can recommend the movie Glory. Um, oh, the yeah. Both film or book version. The book is quite slim. It's like 116 mm-hmm. pages of All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, and the movie 19... 19- 1917 okay good i knew it was a number Uh, i love that movie that movie is very well crafted that movie wrecked me in a fair also uh (laughs) great soundtrack what is (laughs) world war one harry styles dunkirk that one also very good explanation Mm. that war is hell yeah so i can sympathize with talia there that sucks um, let's think, talk about I think a good antidote to this uh, book would be the movie Glory. Um, speaking of the United States Colored Troops, that movie is Denzel about Washington. the most famous of those units, uh, the Massachusetts 54th Regiment. Um, and of course, it was led by a white officer because that was a rule. They had Ferris that, you Bueller, know, though. Ferris Bueller. And yeah, who Matthew had Broderick. ever predicted him in a dramatic role? He isn't known it's for doing a drama. Fantastic work. movie. It is very well done. It is very well done. Sorry, yeah. I'll so go it, watch that movie. <laughs> Don't read this book. Right, this uh, book is light trash we're telling you what's going on and so you don't have to so jumping ahead like i said to page 100 cousin rachel the the yankees have come they're going officer davenport is going to use their house as a headquarters all of the ladies and all their visitors have to move up to the third floor officers are going to take over their bedrooms and the ground floor Um, And that really takes up the majority of the last quarter of the book. But (laughs) Cousin Rachel, who is staying with them, marched down the stairs this morning and demanded to see Colonel Davenport. After much fuss, she was admitted to the library, which now serves as his office. She told him she would be unable to enter the house by the front door if he insists on putting up the Union flag. I wrote... I cannot roll my eyes far I enough. Wrote, this is a perfect distillation of the victim complex yeah. of the Confederates because it's like, oh, I couldn't possibly do. You're, it's a door. Literally, who cares? Get over yourself. Yeah. Um, so I I enjoy how this entry ends. Um, cousin Rachel said that she would have to enter and leave only by the back door in this oh, case. Horror. Colonel Davenport said cousin Rachel could do as she wished and his soldiers would as- and his soldiers escorted her from the library. <laughs> I wrote literally why would they care? <sighs> yeah. So uh, now we start dealing with the character of Mr. Garlington. I was going to say, yeah, I'm seeing Mr. Garlington crop up uh, quite a bit more, which is uh, some bad foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Garlington in book one is a character who is known for being particularly physically cruel with his slaves. His wife also. They were quite strict and used a lot of whipping mm. to keep people in line. They were constantly afraid of slave revolts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see Mr. Garlington. He's just so psyched about the Confederate Army. And any day, they're just going to whip these Yankees out of here. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, we have an, another uh, uh, on page 103. This is a. Yeah. Um, a band of Yankees approaches the and invade Dr. Harris's house. They took some pieces of cake that his cook that had made and threw some coins into the plate and rode off. However, 
they come back shortly after and they say, oh, man, this cake was so good that they demand to take the cook yeah. <laughs> along with them um, to prepare a meal for them. Uh, uh, Dr. Harris's cook is quite fat and they forced her upon the mule, which she had never ridden in her life. The other enslaved people stood around laughing, although I must admit I did not see the humor in any of this. And to that I wrote, oh, yeah. It, it's you're right it's not funny to force someone to work for you she's so close and so many times she's so close to getting it and then just it does not <laughs> and you just never interrogate that feeling <laughs> the mallards get robbed by the yankees as well mm-hmm. uh they no longer have you know they have very little to eat um, and all the while, Mrs. Mallard is shouting at these Yankee soldiers about how her sons are never going to stop yeah. fighting. Blah, 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 blah. Perhaps your family should not have started this war. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like they just never once take any accountability. It's the, and I don't want to. OK. It's like someone the war who hits you first and then you hit them back and they're like mom they hit me exactly it's like okay (laughs) so on page 110 we get our first proper slave revolt oh god mr garlington has been found hanging from his apple tree i was Oof, man, I was like, okay, what? <laughs> I couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, once again. We are all horrified. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed you are. <laughs> Should we just read it? I mean, um, no, I don't. Okay. Yeah, it, it gets kind of It's too graphic. many hours. Um, but she goes into what life was like, what impressions she got about Mr. Garlington in regards to his treatment and his use of daily corporal punishment. Yeah. He insisted that fear of their master was necessary to get his enslaved people to work properly. Mm -hmm. Even her father, who is an overt racist, Mm -hmm. is like, yo, maybe you should stop hitting people so much. Yeah. And eventually, Mr. Garlington (laughs) is murdered. It looks like he is suffocated with a pillow in his sleep and then hung up yeah. As a dead body, which is technically an act of terror, but again, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I don't know if it's so much. It's kind of that. Is it like reverse racism? Kind of a thing. I don't know about like, reverse racism, but I'm just saying, like, the act of hanging a body. It's violent. It's leaving a message. It is it's leaving saying a message. Things around here are well, changing. So it's. Yeah, it's and the blame is put on one person who started this plot uh, named Romeo, who is obviously one of their enslaved, you know. And he was separated people. from his wife. Yeah, he Mr. never got Garlington's, to be with his child as it died. Yeah, Mr. Garlington sold Romeo's wife and oldest child three years ago, which was the cause of grave and continuous problems. He steadfastly refused to let Romeo visit his wife, even though he didn't. Even though he knew the family to whom she was sold, they did not know where the whereabouts of the oldest child. Um. Yeah, I cool. Good for Romeo. Honestly, yes. 
Like, it's just... Yeah, he stole all of the things that they had buried under the gateposts, and he murdered the guy, and I I think he should have done it twice. For some reason, he spares the wife. I wonder if maybe she was in on it. She, there's no hint in the book of that. Uh, that's it's just, just me speculating. But it's fun I, to think about. I think that's giving Mrs. Garlington too much credit, honestly, to think that she, like, also thought that he was a bad person. Like, it's... And I understand, like, men who are abusive to their unpaid employees can also be abusive to their own family. And unpaid employees might be my favorite euphemism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, but like, I'm also, speculating. I like it. I kind of the book describes how she was quite harsh and whipped people frequently. And frankly, I think she should be murdered too. <laughs> Arguably, I just, I just, and and if that sounds harsh, imagine being like, Im- no, no, I don't care if it's harsh. Imagine whipping a human being, mm-hmm. a woman, a child. Imagine whipping somebody. Yeah, I can't. I have no. I ooh, sorry, I know. I, I get really angry. I'm right there with you. I know some people have a hard time like you know accepting violence you know towards anyone well um i'm pretty comfortable with a lot of violence actually we're not those people (laughs) right but again and this is gonna sound gross to put it in terms that white people like can understand a little better because it's a little closer to home like nazis (laughs) you know like a lot of you know americans felt very like gung-ho about going to kill nazis you know and we're horrified to find out what happened you know, in concentration camps right. and like didn't feel bad about killing them. Meanwhile, we turned so, boats of Jewish people who were escaping we'll get Germany that. away. We'll get to that with, oh, with one of will. With the next. Uh, I don't know if it's the next one, but another Barry Denenberg book. Oh, good. Del- deals with that issue. All right, Barry, I'm willing to forgive you. That's that's what I'm getting at is like that's one of my favorite books in this series. Um, so we'll get to that topic, and I think we'll 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 have we'll feel a little better about Mr. Denenberg in that. Yeah, I, hope. I honestly, I just <laughs> this book. Yeah, now I hate it. I hate it. I hate the characters. Everything bad that happens to them, they absolutely deserve and more. They don't get enough badness. Honestly, I think honestly, the the only other really thing that I that is that interesting, like they the Colonel Davenport and his soldiers leave. Um, they smash up the bottom of the house. They smash up the bottom of the house. I, I looked up like the timing of this, and I think it's because they're going to join for Sherman's March to the Sea. Oh, Jen, um, doing the outside research. Yeah. It's the hottest thing you've said today. Thank you. you. Um, peace. Yeah, so she, uh, the baby Elizabeth passes away, dies yep. of fever. Um, and basically, by the end, um, their, their own enslaved people their own free employees are mostly starting to desert them except for the ever faithful iris and amos and you're just i love their names together cool i I guess right and then they stay with them forever through the epilogue they stay with them forever it ends on christmas again yeah and it's just such a okay and we're So, yeah, December 25th, 1864, how many thousands of years ago was it that we all came together to celebrate this most joyous holiday? But this day is forever cloaked in a black shroud of grief. There is a black hole where my heart previously beat. Anything would be better than this painful wound, a wound that grows infinitely more acute when it is filled with the uncertainty about father and tally. 
I am unwilling to accept that they, along with Mother, Brother Cole, Uncle Benjamin, and Baby Elizabeth, are gone forever, never to return, and I find it impossible to imagine them lying cold upon some battlefield with no one to care for them. I cannot bring myself to believe, as others seem to, that somehow it would be worth it, that anything worth dying for, or is there anything worth dying for, if... Is this awful waste, this painful sacrifice, justified in God's eyes? The end. What? <laughs> it literally... What? What? Okay, so I... I love yeah. some details from the epilogue, though. I love some details from the epilogue. We find out... Um, okay, we... Yeah. Oh, that's historical note. We, we find out that... Aunt Caroline stays at the house and becomes Aunt Caroline's home. Um, but she needs to, like be an orphanage person to make money yeah oh strange oh aunt caroline forced to earn a living for the first time to which i wrote tragic poor baby (laughs) wow can you imagine must be so hard oh and then we find out what happens to cousin rachel which is the most interesting part of the book it just completely glazed over right again it's ah i think rah in, in 1860s, oh wait, cousin Rachel lived with her mother at the orphanage, helping occasionally with the children, but only occasionally. Although speculative, it is assumed that cousin Rachel Colston suffered, which, oh, that's her last name, right. uh, suffered a nervous breakdown during the war. In 1867, Aunt Caroline was forced to commit her to the Richmond Lunatic Asylum. I know! Yeah, we just got a big reaction from Danny. <laughs> like, yeah, what? Where did the... Where, where she, did that come from? Where she died a year later Love when this she part. fell, jumped, or was pushed from the fourth floor of the asylum. So we've got a possible lunatic asylum murder, and we're just going to give it two sentences? Two sentences. Like, I... I know. But in good news, the dad dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colonel Robert Stiles Simpson died at the Battle of Cedar Creek on October 19th, 1864. Good. Apparently... <laughs> He had become separated from his regiment, was without a coat in bitter cold weather, and had taken the overcoat of a dead Yankee soldier for warmth. He then attempted to find his way back to his own lines and was accidentally shot and instantly killed by the Confederates. Did you laugh? Because I laughed right out loud. Good. I'm glad we could be roommates Uh, in hell. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, she marries Tally, of course. Um... He's a journalist, but he's he doesn't journalist. investigate any of this either. Like, I there's know. never a time. Well, and then they moved to Richmond, and he works for the which Richmond is the capital Examiner, of the Confederacy, and in, and she becomes like a librarian and piano teacher. Yes, and she's she develops a reputation as quite an authority on Charlotte Bronte. It's like okay, cool. So nothing, nothing bad ever happened right, to them, which sucks. Um, Iris, who with her daughter Dinah accompanied Emma and Tally when they moved to Richmond, lived and worked for them for a number of years. Sometimes she paid. I know it's illegal for her not to be paid, but was she paid? Probably not well. Right. Um, and it was probably a huge hardship for Emma to, and Tally to have to afford to pay their employees now. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, I really and then feel they, for them. They finally moved in 1875. Iris married and moved north with her husband and daughter, possibly to Chicago. Um, cool. Good for them. I hope they had a much better time in Chicago. Um, yeah. And it's just like, cool. That's the end of the book. Great book. Bye. Yep. There are so so many better things you can watch and read about the Civil War. There are characters who actually investigate these thoughts. There's better stuff. There's better stuff. And I think... I, I... 
it's not a good book for like political historical context of the civil war it's also just not a very good piece of literature Um, sorry barry i'm sure you're a lovely gent this and it gets better Um, yeah looking forward to reading a book that doesn't so i actually really liked winter of the red snow even though it was fairly dramatic um, at least I, I had drama right well, and, yeah and some things happened like this one she, you know she's writing so melodramatically at the end All like, the i feel like i have you know i have lived a thousand years and everything has changed and it's like i don't have a literally, heart i just have a black hole where my heart used to be but like what ha- how has yeah. she changed as a at her as a literary character how it, what has been her journey how has she changed absolutely not at she had like Nothing. Nothing has changed. Except for she's gotten more depressed. (laughs) Right. And war is depressing. I think that's a very valid point. That's that's the point. I think it's it's a symptom of uh, striving more for historical accuracy than for a good story. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I also think that it's difficult to write a child's voice. Right? Like, she... And yet, like, Mem is written very, like, distinctly. Like, you know, she has quite a personality. Mem was written by a woman. Yep. Sorry, Barry. Sorry, Barry. I (laughs) think being assigned female at birth and being raised with female gender expectations gives you certain perspectives and certain understandings of the world. I think it makes you kind of more likely to be socialized to think about children and about others and about like you know about what it it's is not a, a it's child. not a given i do think there are men who do well writing other perspectives however it is not overly expected of them yeah um so that is our recap of this but thanks for listening bye I, no i i really hope you if, i'm I was I was really excited to tackle this book because I think I I do enjoy thinking about the Civil War. It's very oh, it's so fascinating. It's fascinating. However, I'm also glad to leave it behind. I think there is a non-zero percent chance that thinking about the Civil War gave me hives. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I came down with such. I was covered in hives, and I was and I was like, where the heck did these come from? But I just, I was 1864, so, apparently. I, was, I think I was just so concerned about like, how do we talk about this in a way that's like, how, how do I say, thing. how do I say what I want to say, you know, in regards to this topic? And it's because it's, there's so much there. There's so much history and nuance to the Civil War, and this book just really does not do a good job presenting it, and I really hope that people go out and experience other media from this time period and, like, learn... If this book were food, it it would be a glazed donut. There's a thin... But glazed donuts are good. Glazed donuts, inherently enjoyable. I get that. The subject matter here works, but it is nutritionless, it does not teach us anything. It doesn't fill you it up. It gives you exactly. You're not taking anything away from this. This is just something that we read. Yeah. However, I'm trying to read 36 books this year, and I get to check another one off the list. Oh, how depressing. 
And you don't even learn especially much about the Civil War with no, this book. It's really not. I cannot say that I recommend it for like teachers who want to teach the Civil War. The documentary that we've referenced many times. Please, there's by probably all means, watch Glory. I would. I think. I I know for sure that there's a a boy version of uh, there's a My Name Is America book uh, that is from the perspective of a Civil War soldier. And I haven't read it, so I don't know what it's like. I hope it's better than this one. But I can't picture a worse book. <laughs> I This book failed on every aspect it really for me. It kind of did. It, did, I, uh, it, it was, just did nothing. It was nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, um, she existed. She didn't die. What a shame. This Bye. Is, this is a great book book for teaching the importance of critical analysis and asking those why questions um so yeah we will leave that behind we um for the next episode we are going to jump right into the next book we are not going to have our usual historical note with a guest expert yet because the next book is so closely tied to this book in subject matter and time period that we are going to find an expert who can uh speak to both speak to both and i hope to have a very productive conversation about that um and the, uh, the, we're not trying to just all over the, whoops we're not trying to <laughs> we're not trying to just uh tap dance over just destroy this right book. you know we're not trying to uh, you know well we're just we just want better i think we know how great we care children's a lot. literature and historical fiction can be. We care a lot about children's literature and the Civil War. I, that's <laughs> is true on a, both a, things. A failure of both. <laughs> so, yeah, on that note. This book is dumb and I hate it. Be Thanks. gone. Um, and on to the next one. Yeah, which looking is forward a to reading about Clody. Mm-hmm. So, I hope. Let it be better. Trying to end on a positive note. Um are anyway, you why i don't know because it doesn't feel good to end a podcast just being in a bad mood that's true um so go watch glory and then nine Ooh, hours. watch glory with your parents watch glory with your parents well most of our audience is older watch glory and then watch ken burns the civil war all nine hours it's on pbs it. and it's well worth it's the well worth pbs it. passport Mm-hmm. Five dollars a month, I think. Yeah, I and think my listen, PBS subscription is my cheapest streaming service, and I love it so and then much. Also, the highest quality. To the Ashokan farewell w- with the narrated letter of Sullivan Ballou. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's my lay down time, so let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> See you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. We'd like to thank Erica Page for creating our amazing intro and outro music, Callie Charing for being the best research librarian we know, and the world's best editor, Danny Heck. Feel free to reach out to them with contact info in the description. 